the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blind producing, Dave King engineering, Pedro Bartez producing and engineering in Seattle. Glad to have you with us. Today we're going to talk with Matt Staver. He's the founder and chairman of Liberty Council. We'll talk about Margaret Sanger. She's the architect of the culture of death we currently find ourselves in. And we'll talk with Alex McFarland of Alex McFarland Ministries. He's authored or co-authored more than 20 books and co-hosts Exploring the World, uh, the Word rather. Um, and uh, according to uh, reports, the vice president said on Monday that one doesn't have to abandon their faith or deeply held beliefs to support abortion on demand until birth. Well, Alex McFarland begs to differ. We'll talk with him about that when he joins us later in today's program. But first, we'll take a look at some of the day's news. So former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley's uh, campaign lashed out at the Republican National Committee as its chairman, Ronna McDaniel, on Thursday over a draft resolution being considered by the party to declare former President Donald Trump the presumptive GOP nominee. There's only been one caucus and that other thing in uh, thus far. Well, the resolution was proposed on Thursday morning by RNC committee chairman David Bossy, a former 2016 Trump campaign official, despite Haley's vow to continue her campaign into her home state of South Carolina for its primary next month, which is just around the corner. Who cares what the RNC says? We'll let millions of Republican voters across the country decide who should be our party's nominee. Not a bunch of Washington insiders, Haley's campaign spokesperson told Fox News Digital. If Ronna McDaniel wants to be helpful, she can organize a debate in South Carolina, unless she also is worried that uh, Trump can't handle being on stage for 90 minutes with Nikki Haley, she added. Well, in a statement, the RNC spokesperson, Keith Shipper, he said resolutions such as this one are brought forward by members of the RNC. Chairwoman McDaniel doesn't offer resolutions. They will be taken up by the Resolutions Committee, and they will decide whether to send this resolution to be voted on by the 168 RNC members at our annual meeting next week, end quote. Well, the resolution uh, could be voted on as early as next week when the RNC convenes for its winter meeting in Las Vegas with all 168 committee members, but it's clear not everyone is ready to go along with declaring Trump the nominee, including RNC committee member Bill uh, Palatucci from New Jersey. Uh, a silly resolution to say he is the presumptive nominee, insulting uh, two millions of primary voters who wait for the opportunity to get involved in presidential politics every four years. The Trump critic, uh, uh, close to former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, told uh, media outlets, another example of Trump's authoritarian streak. We don't need Super Tuesday or any other primaries. I'll just have I'll have handed to me, he said. Well, Haley is the sole remaining challenger, as you know, to Trump in the race. And she's facing what's expected to be daunting odds after the latter won two convincing victories in the Iowa caucuses and New uh, New Hampshire primary. Um, early polls have also suggested 
Uh, she could lose by a wide margin to Trump in the February 24th South Carolina primary, although no new polling has been released since the Iowa and New Hampshire events. Well, following her loss in New Hampshire, McDaniel called on Haley to drop out of the race so the party could coalesce around Trump in the as the nominee. Looking at the math and the path going forward, I don't see it for Nikki Haley, McDaniel said. I think she's run a great campaign, but I do think there is a, a message that's coming out from the voters, uh, which is very clear. We need to unite around our eventual nominee, which is going to be Donald Trump, and we need to make sure we beat Joe Biden, end quote. It is 10 months away until the November election, and we can't wait any longer to put out um, uh, our foot on the gas to beat the worst president, to beat the, a president that's uh, kept our borders open, allowed fentanyl to pour through, allowing inflation to go rampant. He's hurting the American people, and we need to do everything we can to unite so that we can defeat him, she went on to say. Well, voters who have yet to cast any kind of ballot uh, might beg to differ. Nikki Haley will not be dropping out, although South Carolina may be the uh, tipping point for her. In other news, former President Trump took to the stand on Thursday in his defense in the civil defamation damages trial stemming from E. Jones Carroll's defamation lawsuit claiming he attacked her sexually in a department store dressing room in the 90s. The 2024 GOP frontrunner has vehemently denied the allegations. His denial resulted in Carroll slapping Trump with a defamation lawsuit, claiming that he uh, his response caused harm to her reputation. Well, upon taking the stand on Thursday, the former president was asked three questions by the defense. First, Trump was asked whether he saw his deposition played in court, to which he replied, yes. Second, he was asked if he stands by his statements in the deposition, to which he replied, 100 percent yes. And third, he was asked if he uh, ever threatened Carol in the in his tweets or social media posts. No, Trump said, I was only defending myself from what I believe was a false allegation. End quote. Well, the judge struck statements from Trump uh, that went be, uh, beyond a yes or no answer. On the way out of the courtroom, Trump repeatedly said, this is not America. He and his legal team insist that Carol's allegations are fabricated, which the former president's initial reaction included an accusation that she was motivated by wanting to sell copies of her book. He repeatedly told uh, news outlets that he has absolutely no idea who this woman is. Carol is 79. She alleged that the uh, former president, as a civilian several years ago, uh, raped her by the Bergdorf Goodman department store across from Trump Tower in Manhattan back in 1996. A federal jury in New York City decided last year that he was not liable for that, but was liable for sexual abuse and defamation. The former president was ordered to pay $5 million. Well, Trump, on his Truth Social account last week, posted images of Carol's tweets dating back to 2015. In one image, she wrote, How do you know your unwanted sexual advance is unwanted until you advance it? Well, Trump also posted that Carol has been all over the place on the timing of this allegation incident, which never took uh, place and is being coached by lunatic radical leftists operating uh, an attorney, Roberta Kaplan, uh, who has sued him before and just lost. I am the only one who has been injured by this attempted extortion. Trump went on to post. Well, the judge is uh, Kaplan. Lewis Kaplan is presiding over the trial and his travails continue. 
Meanwhile, Texas Governor Greg Abbott on the ongoing fight with the federal government and says that Texas has the right to protect its border and the back and forth will continue. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. We do need to take a quick break. Also, I want to remind you that coming up in our second hour, I'll be talking with Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council on Margaret Sanger and her uh, legacy. And we'll talk with Alex McFarland. Uh, He's authored or co-authored some 20 plus books, co-hosts Exploring the World on uh, radio. And according to reports, the vice president said, hey, you can be a believer, a man or woman of faith and still embrace abortion on demand right up until birth. McFarland says not so fast. He disagrees. We'll talk about that when he joins us in the second hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. Well, Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott said President Biden's press secretary was uninformed in her rhetoric about the state's border security measures, adding that he believes the state will prevail in the courts over the Biden administration. Corrine Jean-Pierre said in a new interview, it was unfortunate that Abbott has politicized this issue of what happening on the border and it's not making people's lives safer. It's actually making it harder for law enforcement at the border to do their job, she told CNN. Well, Abbott fired back on America's newsroom on Thursday, calling it a very uninformed comment on her part. There's really only one person in America not doing their job, and that's the president of the United States, who's not enforcing immigration laws, he said. Also, as she has already been called out, and the president and other Democrats in the media, they've cast a false narrative about some people dying on the border that apparently uh, Texas denied Border Patrol access to that's been completely debunked. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court sided with the Biden administration on Monday in a case involving a razor wire fence along Texas border with Mexico, allowing Border Patrol agents to cut concertina wire that Texas has installed while litigation continues. But Abbott said the high court only issued two sentences and didn't hand down an opinion on the matter. He expressed confidence that the state will prevail if the case is heard on its merits. I think maybe we will get it to the Fifth Circuit on its merits where I believe we can win. And I do believe when it gets to the Supreme Court, we can win as well. No one knows what the justices were thinking at all. All we know is they wanted to send it back to the Fifth Circuit He told Bill Hemmer and Dana Perino in that interview. Abbott said the Biden administration had broken the compact between the federal government and the state of Texas as laid out by the Constitution. Included in that agreement was the compact that the federal government would take care of the states. And Article 4, uh, Section 4 of the Constitution speaks to that and says that if the federal government does not take care of the states and the states are in danger, we can ask the federal government to line up its uh, to live up rather to its obligations. Then the authors of the Constitution knew there would be times when the federal government would not live up to its duty. And so they empowered states in Article one, Section 10, the right to, of self-defense. He added what Texas is asserting is our Article one, Section 10 right of self-defense because the president of the United States is not fulfilling his duties to enforce the laws passed by Congress that deny illegal entry into the United States, end quote. Well, in a 5-4 vote on Monday, the justices granted an emergency appeal from the administration as part of the escalating standoff at the border with Texas. When asked if he would instruct Texas law enforcement officers to physically prevent federal officials from accessing the contested part of the border, Abbott said the Biden administration is really truly abdicated its responsibility to secure the border and enforce the laws. Texas very simply is securing the border. 
There are criminals coming across our border. Texas has a right as a state to stop criminals from coming into our state to make arrests of those criminals. We have National Guard as well as Texas Department of Public Safety officers who are there to make their those arrests and to deny illegal entry. Joe Biden actually does have the option here, he added. Joe Biden's option is to enforce the laws of the United States and stop this illegal entry. So again, the uh, controversy continues. Meanwhile, George Sheets spent 50 years in construction, saving his money. He bought a vacant lot not far from Lake Tahoe, and he planned to build a house there for his retirement. But when Sheets went to get the building permit, he was issued an unexpected traffic impact mitigation fee of over $23,000. Well, the county legislature created the fee a few years earlier to help pay for road work. That's when Mr. Sheets got mad. Sheets has built several homes throughout his life, so he's familiar with the typical administrative processing fees and costs. Well, you don't have to build here, he recalled a county official saying after he complained, go someplace else, end quote. Well, Sheets had already put a down payment on a manufactured home, so in 2016, he paid the fee, all $23,000. But soon after, he sued the county, arguing that the fee amount wasn't proportionate to the actual impact his project would cause on the roads. Mr. Sheets small 1800 square foot manufactured home wouldn't cause anything like those uh, kinds of traffic impacts. Sheets attorney uh, argued what the county did to Mr. Sheets was fundamentally unfair. The county asked him to pay for pre-existing deficiencies on a highway and local roads as the condition of issuing him a permit. They asked him to pay for traffic impacts caused by other uses, uh, developments like retail development and Office development, Baird continued, is the attorney. After a seven-year legal battle that included two rulings against him, Baird argued Sheets' case before the Supreme Court earlier this month with attorneys from the Pacific Legal Foundation, a libertarian public interest law firm serving as co-counsel. The county didn't bother to tie the fee over uh, $23,000 to the actual impacts of his project, Baird said. They were I- instead using him as a revenue raiser. The outcome of the case could have national, nationwide ramifications on how local agencies fund the cost of providing needed public infrastructure, such as roads and firefighting equipment. The county fees under attacks have already been upheld by the California Superior Court and the California Court of Appeals, which confirmed that the county complied with all applicable requirements for the imposition of development impact mitigation fees. Under the Constitution's takings clause, the government is permitted to seize property, including money, though there are certain conditions that must be met. El Dorado County's fee is unconstitutional because the amount doesn't consider how much a project will cost the government and because only new development applicants and not all taxpayers are funding a, a service the public is large uh, at large uses, Baird argued. Well, the county's fee was based not on any impacts caused by Mr. Sheets, he said. That's unconstitutional. In other words, the county needed to either put the financial burden for the roads on all taxpayers or calculate the financial impact of Sheets project and charge him appropriately, proportionately. Instead of raising taxes on the uh, general population, which is over, uh, which is very unpopular, he said, the county instead found a very uh, a way to just uh, target a select few within the county. Well, the county argued that determining the cost on a case-by-case basis would put a major burden on governments. It doesn't matter who imposes the fee, whether it's a bureaucrat behind a permit counter or whether it's the legislative body. It's all the same, the attorney said. 
A taking is a taking. Every American should want his or her rights protected against violations by the government, regardless of which branch the government does the violation. He continued. Well, the attorney worries that if the Supreme Court rules in El Dorado's favor, governments nationwide will be able to impose fees for land use without oversight from the courts, effectively allowing them to hold permit applicants over a barrel. What that means is that the costs of general public infrastructure projects, which should be borne by the public as a whole via taxes, will now be borne entirely by new development and new project applications. But a win for sheets would force government to provide the fees they charge for land use permits and is connected and proportionate to the impacts of the project, according to Beard. Well, the Supreme Court is set to issue a ruling by the 30th of June. Well, Israel and Hamas have reportedly agreed in principle to deal uh, to a deal rather in which prisoners and hostages will be released as part of a month long ceasefire. However, the framework plan is uh, being held up by two sides differences over how to bring a permanent end to the war in Gaza. While Israel has sought to negotiate one stage at a time, Hamas is seeking a package deal that agrees on a permanent ceasefire before hostages are released during uh, the initial phase. Gaza residents appeared Wednesday to be protesting against Hamas and demanding the group return hostages taken from Israel, according to a video released by the Israeli Defense Forces. The same day, other videos appeared to show Israelis, including relatives of captives, protesting the entry of humanitarian aid trucks to Gaza. Five of the sources said that Israel had um, refused to discuss any end to the war uh, that did not include Hamas being dismantled. They did not to specify if exiled, uh, exiling the leadership would meet with that bar. Well, as the Biden border crisis worsens, House Republicans' efforts to pursue accountability for Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas uh, continue to, uh, to speed ahead as the impeachment inquiry against the DHS chief is about to enter a new phase. According to the House Committee on Homeland Security, members will gather next Tuesday to begin the markup of their articles of impeachment against Mayorkas for high crimes and misdemeanors. Representative uh, Michael McCall says that if this administration won't take action to protect America and secure our border, House Committee on Homeland Security will. It starts with impeaching the one man who has failed to enforce necessary laws and created this unprecedented crisis. Secretary Mayorkas. Health and Human Service Secretary Xavier Becara is subpoenaed, uh, subpoenaed by Jim Jordan. The House Judiciary Committee chairman is continuing to hold members of the administration accountable for the crisis at the southern border, this time when it comes to Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra. The chairman subpoenaed him, noting in his letter he was looking into the Office of Refugee Resettlement and its handling of the unaccompanied alien children at the border. Today, we subpoenaed HHS secretary for information about the placement of unaccompanied alien children with convicted murderers and other criminals, many of whom it is believed are being trafficked. Well, the court dealt a blow to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for unconstitutionally applying emergency powers to suppress the Freedom Convoy. We'll explain what that's about when we return in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
Coming up later in the program, we'll have a conversation with Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council, and Alex McFarland, two separate interviews. He's with Alex McFarland Ministries. He's the author of uh, or co-author of more than 20 books and co-host of Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network. That's coming up later this hour. Well, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's decision to use emergency legislation to quell the Freedom Convoy protests that uh, gripped the downtown Ottawa area and border crossings in 2022 weren't justified. That's according to the Federal Court of Canada. The uh, court statement marks a blow to Trudeau's government. Finance Minister Christia Freeland said the government will appeal. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association, the Canadian Constitution Foundation and other groups had challenged the government's use of the law to end the protests and freeze the, the bank accounts of people affiliated with it, arguing it was unnecessary and unconstitutional. The protesters were opposed to COVID-19 restrictions and vaccine mandates. Well, despite his best attempt to play the role of dictator, Trudeau's use of the Emergencies Act went beyond the scope of what is permitted by Canadian law. And while the Emergencies Act can be employed to manage a national emergency that cannot be effectively dealt with under any other uh, law of Canada, uh, the, the Trudeau's actions far exceeded that threshold, according to his critics. Well, Amazon Prime prompted backlash on social media for rolling out a a trailer for a new animated series that suggests the angels of God are heartless while sympathetically portraying demons, Lucifer and his mythological lover Lilith. Well, the clip closed uh, by suggesting that heaven was threatened by the growing power of hell, leading its forces to make the annual heartless decision to send an exterminating army to ensure hell and sinners could never rise against them. Hmm. Amazon was a new cartoon uh, for children. You'll never guess the plot. That's right. Satan is the uh, victim and the hero is the uh, and the hero rather of the cartoon. Heads up if you uh, allow your kids to watch through uh, that uh, mechanism. Amazon Prime heaven and hell like you've never seen them before. Well, 30 Republican state senators in Georgia are backing a plan to launch an investigation into allegations of misconduct by Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, who's accused of hiring her underqualified romantic partner to lead the prosecution of the 2020 election fraud case against former President Trump and 18 other defendants. Senate Resolution 465, which was introduced by State Senator Greg Dolezal on Monday, would create a special Senate committee with subpoena power specifically to investigate the charges against Willis. Well, the resolution passed out uh, of its first committee on Tuesday. The best way to save democracy, it seems, is by spending taxpayer dollars on cruises with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, Wade spent uh, north of $6,000 on travel to places like Aruba in October and November of 22 alone. And he paid for plane tickets for Willis, clearly intended her to fly with him on at least some of the lavish trips. Let's see. New Jersey um, finds banning single-use grocery bags led to triple amount of plastic bags in the landfill. And Biden in Virginia, hello, Virginia. And the real governor is Terry McAuliffe. Well, the president referred to defeated Democratic ex-Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe as the state's real governor on Tuesday, even though Biden has made Donald Trump's failure to accept the results of the 2020 presidential election a centerpiece of his re-election bid. uh, bid Hello, Virginia. The real governor, Terry McAuliffe, the 81-year-old president said while gesturing to McAuliffe as Biden began a campaign speech and Manassas focused on abortion rights. 
The Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin responded to Biden. Mr. President, I'm right here. Hmm. Well, economic growth in the fourth quarter of 2023 bested expectations, showing a 3.3 percent rise in GDP over the final three months. That number raises the overall economic growth for 2023 to 2.5 percent, up from 1.9 percent in 2022. That's good news because a widely anticipated and feared coming recession did not materialize. The silver lining on inflation is that it rose just 2 percent over the final quarter, though it was double that for the year and more than 17 percent since Joe Biden took office. This GDP growth amounts to supersonic uh, Goldilocks because it's really a strong number, yet inflation hasn't shown up. That's a quote from U.S. Bank Chief Economist Beth Ann Bovino. Everybody wanted to uh, have fun. People bought new cars, a lot of recreation, spending as well as uh, taking trips. We've been expecting a soft landing for some time. This is just one step in that direction. I'm not really sure who's um, buying a lot of cars and taking a lot of vacations. Most people can't afford that at this time. In any event, that's a, a bit of a step in the right direction. Mitch McConnell isn't just standing there. He's doing something. That's what we're being told on the border. And that something is working secretively behind the closed doors to craft a border bill that's acceptable to Democrats while at the same time pressuring his fellow Republicans to support it before releasing its terms to the public. It's as if he wants Republican lawmakers to pass it so the rest of us can find out what's in it. Hmm. Well, as Breitbart reported, the draft bill is also being reviewed by the Senate's Committee on Appropriations because the Biden administration wants roughly $15 billion to operate its migration program in 2024. The money is needed by Democrats to process, transport, feed, house and hide Uh, arriving 2024 migrants and the 6.2 million already admitted during the run-up to the 2024 election. The extra spending can also be used to persuade senators who do not yet support the giveaway. Also on Capitol Hill, Republican senators grilled Melissa Dalton, Joe Biden's nominee for Undersecretary of the Air Force. Dalton, it turns out, supervised the recent sell-off of border wall material at a 97% discount. 97% to buyers who immediately resold it or 10 times that amount, according to the Iowa Senator Joni Ernst. Regarding the Pentagon plan that led to the ridiculous fire sale and the bilking of American taxpayers, Dalton said it was the best available information we had at the time. Well, black Chicagoans are pretty put out with illegal immigration. The influx of illegal aliens into Chicago's black neighborhoods is reaching a boiling point for many residents. Those poorer black neighborhoods have long been a political backbone of Chicago's Democrat Party. But Joe Biden's migrant crisis has many residents regretting their vote and reconsidering the one they'll cast in 2024. As one resident expressed regarding Democrat Mayor Brandon Johnson and other Democrat leaders, all these people, I have supported every one of them. Yet upon learning of city leaders plan to use um, Amundsen Park as a an area to house illegal aliens combined with all the money the city has spent on providing for migrants, that resident huffed. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? End quote. Well, increasingly, anger over the migrant crisis is growing in the black community there, especially among residents in Chicago, to the point where many are openly blaming Biden and stating that they will not be voting for him. And some are even suggesting that they plan to vote for Donald Trump. Now, that would be the ultimate insult to Joe Biden. Furthermore, at least three black residents are now suing the city of Chicago over its migrant accommodation policies, which are negatively impacting their communities. 
this uh, represents a great political opportunity for not only uh, Biden's opponent, political opponents, but also Republicans to offer a genuine ear and policy solution for these blue city residents whose frustration is mounting with the failures of their presumed leader. It's no secret that the American education system continues to fail children. But that grim fact isn't deterring one public school from focusing on super uh, superfluous rather matters rather than academic excellence. The Amigo School of Cambridge, Massachusetts, is planning to throw a period party next month for third, fourth, fifth and sixth graders in order to help destigmatize the uh, event while empowering and supporting youth as they approach puberty and beyond, according to the uh, Report the group uh, will orchestrate the event. As National Review reports, the uh, party will include um, goodie bags and uh, empowerment speeches that will share their first stories of the the event. The watchdog group called Parents Defending Education uncovered the school-sponsored scheme uh, by way of an email from the school to parents. It defies explanation that a school is hosting the themed party, said one parent, the watchdog group's spokesperson. Those in charge of the school have clearly lost sight of the concept of boundaries. Well, back in 2020, here in the state of Oregon, voters here passed Measure 110, championed by Democrat lawmakers that decriminalized drug use. Democrat lawmakers claim that this decriminalization of drug use would lead to lower crime rates and more addicts getting the help they needed. Well, lo and behold, the legislation did just the opposite, as many of us believed at the time. As conservatives predicted, and now drug-related crimes are spiking, and there's a rampant fentanyl crisis sending overdose deaths, well, all over the state. It is a sad commentary on a uh, misguided, but I suppose well-intended piece of legislation. So the Beaver State Democrats lawmakers are now seeking a means to put the proverbial toothpaste back into the tube. On Tuesday, they introduced new legislation that would recriminalize drug possession as a misdemeanor, which would allow law enforcement to confiscate drugs as well as remove them from public places individuals who are using them go. One Democrat lawmaker called it a compromise path. It will be interesting to see if Oregon Democrats dominated uh, government will pass the legislation and the Oregon uh, legislature will convene. uh, I think it's the 5th of February. So we'll keep you posted on that progress. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back in a moment. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. Coming up in our next hour, Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council, will talk about Margaret Sanger and her legacy. We'll also talk with Alex McFarland. The vice president said, you don't have to abandon your faith or your deeply held beliefs to support abortion on demand right up until the moment of birth. Alex McFarland disagrees. We'll talk about that when he joins us again later in the second hour of today's program. Well, the Chinese government accused the United States of causing trouble and provocation in a statement on Thursday after the U.S. Navy sailed a warship through the sensitive Taiwan Strait. U.S. warships and planes have caused trouble and provocation on China's doorstep and carried out large-scale, high-frequency activities in waters and airspace around China. That's a quote from Chinese Defense Ministry spokesperson Colonel Wu Quinn. Uh, speaking to reporters at a monthly briefing. Well, the comment came after the USS John Finn sailed through a corridor in the Taiwan Strait for the first time since Taiwan hosted its presidential election. The U.S. Navy defended the action, saying the destroyer's path was beyond the territorial sea of any coastal state. Wu said China's response in uh, driving away the ship was justified, reasonable, professional, and restrained. 
Well, the defense ministry spokesperson said China will continue to organize relevant military operations in and around the Taiwan Strait. Well, China officially claims uh, Taiwan, as you know, which is uh, democratically governed and operates autonomously as within its sovereignty. The U.S. and most other countries recognize this so-called one China policy and formally agree Taiwan is a part of China. Well, in the island's most recent presidential election, the two leading candidates offered competing ideas on how Taiwan should relate to mainland China. The people of Taiwan elected William Lai, who campaigned on keeping distance from Beijing in January. The president-elect will be inaugurated in May. Well, during the briefing, Wu also accused the Philippines of violating China's sovereignty and making provocations in the Red Sea, uh, Red China, rather the South China Sea, for attempting to reinforce construction in the contested Spratly Islands. The spokesperson also said Manila was in collusion with external powers. China just a little paranoid about the space. China also denied providing any weapons or equipment to the Middle East. The Israeli military accused China of being involved after it claimed it found Hamas militants using Chinese-made weaponry in the Gaza Strip. Well, former Trump advisor Peter Navarro was sentenced to four months in prison for refusing to comply with the House Judiciary uh, January 6th committee subpoena. The words uh, executive privilege are not magical incantations, presiding U.S. District Court Judge Amit Mehta said on Thursday. It's just not. It's not a get out of jail free card, end quote. Well, last week, Department of Justice prosecutors told Mehta that Navarro chose allegiance to former President Donald Trump over the rule of law. The rioters who overran the Capitol on January 6th, 2021, did not just attack a building. They assaulted the rule of law upon which this country was built and through which it endures. By flouting the committee's subpoena and its authority to investigate that assault, the the defendant exacerbated that assault following the attack on Congress with the uh, with his rejection of its authority, end quote. That's a quote from the Department of Justice writing in its sentence memo asking that the maximum six month sentence be imposed. Instead, four months were imposed on Navarro. Hunter Biden's business associate involved in his dealing with China energy company CEFC is uh, appear or has appeared for a closed door transact uh, transcribed interview this morning before the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees. Mervyn Yan, who worked with the first son on deals with Chinese energy company CEFC, was subpoenaed last November to appear as part of the House impeachment inquiry against President Biden. The House Oversight Committee chair, James Comer, and Judiciary Committee chair, Jim Jordan, they notified Yan of his uh, subpoena and explained the reason for compelling his appearance. President Biden has received money originating from China via James and Hunter Biden. uh, individuals with whom your client had previously engaged in business. Comer and Jordan wrote to Yan's attorney. James Biden uh, maintains a business relationship with Hunter Biden and the two engaged in several business deals, including a deal with Chinese energy company CEFC China Energy, which is close ties with Chinese Communist Party through its founder, Chairman Yi Jianming. What was first reported on the funds transfers to Joe Biden back in November Comer said the money trail began in July of 2017 when Hunter Biden demanded a $10 million payment from a CEFC associate in a WhatsApp message. Hunter Biden was sitting with his father and 
uh, that of um, and that the Biden network would turn on his associate if he didn't pony up the money. Comer said, I am sitting here with my father and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Hunter told Henry Zhao, the director of the Chinese asset management firm Harvest Fund uh, Management. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me, referring to Mr. Biden, the vice president, and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction, end quote. Well, Zhao responded in part, CEFC is willing to cooperate with the family. Well, the Oversight Committee then obtained bank records that showed in August 2017, $5 million in funds were sent to Hudson West uh, III, a joint venture established by Hunter Biden and CEFC associate Gong Wen the same day. Well, to make a very long and winding road a bit shorter, uh, that money was eventually sent to the uncle, then sent to the president, who was then vice president. While President Biden has maintained he has never uh, was never in business with his son. Text messages obtained reveal that in May of 2017, he met with Hunter's business associates for the Sino Hawk venture, specifically uh, Tony Bobolinsky. Uh, the meeting in May would have uh, taken place just 11 days before the May 13th, 2017 email obtained uh, that include a discussion of remuneration packages for six people in the business deal with CEFC. And it's believed that he was one of them. The email includes a note that Hunters has uh, some office expectations. He will elaborate a proposed uh, equity split reference 24 H and 10 held by H uh, for the big guy uh, with no further Details. The big guy has been said to be a reference to then Vice President, now President Biden. And all of this is part of that impeachment inquiry. That testimony was heard earlier today. And the school choice policy sweeping the nation may be among the most innovative and promising enacted in recent memory. Yet they also embody a return to principles first enshrined in America, in American law, nearly 400 years ago. In 1642, when the Massachusetts Bay Company crafted the nation's first education law, its objective was clear. Parents must educate their children, echoing Moses exhortation to Israelites parents to teach their children and their children's children the statutes and decrees of the Lord. The law recognized not just the grave importance of a good education of singular um, behoof and benefit of any commonwealth. But how parents are uniquely positioned to deliver this benefit. Well, education entails, entails rather more than uh, preparation for the workforce. After all, it entails the cultivation of virtue, both intellectual and moral. To educate children in this way, to form their minds and shape their souls, demands knowledge of their souls, which is to say it requires love. And no one loves a child more than his or her parents. Well, consider how much the uh, dignity and happiness of your children, both in time and in eternity, depend upon your care and fidelity. As the founding area preacher, Nathaniel Emmons, uh, reminded Massachusetts parents nearly a century after the first education law passed. And let the ties of nature, the authority of God, and your own solemn vows engage you to cultivate and embellish their opening minds in every branch of useful and ornamental knowledge, end quote. Well, in keeping with these Natural ties, the 1642 law charged parents, not state bureaucrats, with a duty to ensure that their children learn not only how to provide for themselves, whether through farming or some other trade, 
but also how to think for themselves, which requires the literacy skills necessary to read and understand texts of history, law, religion, and philosophy, among others. Well, should parents neglect this natural duty, the Massachusetts law continued, they would face legal consequences, incurring fines for initial offenses. Prolonged negligence, however, would... um, Up the ante. Children whose parents refused to educate them would be placed with government-appointed teachers. That was the punishment. Rather interesting thought. Such was the pedagogical vision of our nation's earliest lawmakers. Education begins in the home with parents possessing both the right and the responsibility to direct their children's education. Only exceptional circumstances would warrant government intrusion into this emphatically familiar uh, line. Well, it's interesting that the the new trend, the national school choice trend during this national school choice week suggests that this was the intention from the beginning. Massachusetts colonists 17th century education policies embodied the truth that human law ought to reflect and assist the natural law rather than seek to undermine or replace it. And many parents are looking for a broader, fuller education directed by them uh, in institutions they can trust that are teaching what is consistent with not just the job that their son or daughter might hold, but with the academic and uh, character training necessary to manage life. Well, in other news, the uh, United Auto Workers Union endorsed Biden after an eight-month delay. Immigration is now the top voter concern, beating inflation, a new poll shows. And Democrats are calling on Biden to seize control of the Texas National Guard. The trial for six pro-lifers targeted by the administration over a peaceful protest is set to begin. And the Arizona GOP chairman has resigned after a Kerry Lake recording was leaked. New Jersey banned plastic bags and increased plastic usage by 300 cents, uh, 300 percent. That's apparently the new math. Well, coming up, we've got news and then a conversation with Matt Staver, followed by Alex McFarland. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the culture of death in America, the practice of killing unborn children and harming women, can be traced back to one person's tragic legacy. Margaret Sanger, the abortion machine of Planned Parenthood, is continuing its founder's life's work and shows no signs of slowing down. And despite Planned Parenthood stripping her name from its flagship Manhattan Clinic back in 2020, citing her harmful connections to the eugenics movement, The agenda of this um, abortion giant today is indistinguishable from the culture of death that Sanger poured into it as a result of her worldview and her life's work. We're here to talk about this uh, architect of um, uh, the culture of death uh, in today's uh, world is Matt Staver. He is the founder and chairman of Liberty Council. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure to be with you. You know, we have been celebrating uh, the sanctity of human life. We've been reflecting on the 51-year legacy of, of Roe versus Wade. We've been rejoicing over the overturn of um, Roe versus Wade and the Dobbs decision. But I think it's important for us to reflect on where this began here in the United States and the history of Margaret Sanger that many would like to try to distinguish from where Planned Parenthood and the abortion movement stands today, but is inexorably connected um, uh, by principle and by practice. Give us a bit of that history of Margaret Sanger, who apparently had a bit of a rough life herself. 
Yes, it really actually predates Margaret Sanger, and she was influenced by Charles Darwin, particularly his two books, the first one being Origin of the Species, and we usually leave the title at that, but the full title is Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races. And so his second book, The Descent of Man, really elaborates on his worldview, and his worldview there is no God, and there is evolutionary model only, and consequently, there is no value to human life. So there became a movement called social Darwinism, and she was part of that. It was quite widespread, and she was part of it, and that actually believed that evolution being their worldview, then you could evolve a superhuman race, and to do that, you had to pull out the weeds in their words, of humanity that is bringing down the overall racial gene pool. There were some favored races, as Charles Darwin advocated, and there were some disfavored races. And so races such as those with darker skin color, uh, certain people from Europe, uh, not all Europeans, but certain Europeans, uh, they were favored and others were disfavored. And so we saw this manifested in Adolf Hitler, but it was also part of Margaret Sanger's worldview. So how it began was to evolve a better superhuman purified race is that you have to eliminate the procreation of certain disfavored races. And how that happened is you would then uh, sterilize them by removing them from people that they could otherwise procreate with. And there were places in various parts of the country, in Virginia, there's a case that went up to the U.S. Supreme Court, where they would actually physically detain people in these sanitariums. They would be incarcerated. They couldn't leave, and they would keep them until they were past childbearing age. But that would become very lengthy and too expensive, and so they began doing forced sterilization. And so a case went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court called Buck versus Bell in the 1920s, and the Supreme Court ultimately had that infamous line that said three generations of imbeciles are enough, meaning Virginia has put up with three generation of low IQ people, and so that's enough. So they can stop the procreation of that particular kind, and Carrie Buck was forcibly sterilized as a result. That was part of Margaret Sanger's world, and then she began touring the world and came across chemical so-called birth control, population control is what it was called. She was part of the Malthusian type of ideology as well. That was a population control ideology. And she found this population control, chemical birth control, if you will, in various parts of Europe. She tried to bring that back into the United States. It was illegal. She continued to press for that. And eventually, the case went up to the U.S. Supreme Court that also addressed the issue of this kind of uh, contraception for married couples. Then unmarried couples, and then you had Roe versus Wade in 1973. So she was part of all that movement. And what she wanted to specifically do is to reduce certain races, the disfavored races in her view, which would be the African-Americans, Hispanics, certain people of different races and ethnicities, and certain people with disabilities, whether they're physical or mental uh, disabilities or challenges. 
She wanted to reduce that so that they wouldn't procreate, so that the race would get even more pure. And that's the birth of Planned Parenthood. Yeah, absolutely. The Negro Project, I think, is one prime example. Now, we would uh, we would be told that that is no longer the priority of Planned Parenthood. However, if you look at the the number of abortions among African-American women, the placement of abortion, uh, Planned Parenthood abortion clinics in those communities, uh, as an African-American woman, this is highly offensive. And it's frustrating to me to see that her plan to use black leaders are articulate men and women who would speak on behalf of Planned Parenthood and its continued eugenicist priorities, um, that that would lull the rest of the population into believing this was in their best interest. Uh, Sanger wrote in 1923 in the New York Times, birth control is not contraception, thoughtlessly and indiscriminately practiced. It means the cultivation and release of the better racial elements in our society and the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extinction of defective stocks. Those human weeds which threaten the blossoming of the finest flowers of American civilization. She targeted particular populations, and uh, to my way of thinking, that continues to be the case with Planned Parenthood. It's certainly not um, as um, brazen, but it's more subtle. And again, when you look at the numbers, it tells the same story. Well, when you look at the numbers, you have to ask why the numbers. And you look at where Planned Parenthood abortion clinics are, and about 80-some percent of those are located in minority neighborhoods, particularly in African-American and Hispanic communities, but highly probable you're going to find one in an African-American community. In fact, the largest abortion facility in the entire country is a Planned Parenthood facility in Houston, and they placed that multi-story building that they purchased. They found it right in the middle of an African-American and a Hispanic community across the highway from a public school, elementary, middle, high school just across the public highway. They did it intentionally. And so everywhere you look, why do you have this increase of uh, abortions within the African-American community? Because for a long time, Planned Parenthood targeted them, targeted them to have uh, sterilization, then birth control. She changed the terminology from population control because it came out of favor, and they Mm -hmm. changed it to something more palatable, birth control. And uh, they marketed that to the African-American communities. And as you said, she even uh, elicited the help of black pastors to hide the fact that she was actually targeting the elimination of her own community. So that's why you see that today. Uh, They still, 80-some percent of the abortion clinics of Planned Parenthood are located right now in very heavily populated uh, African-American counties and places around the country, intentionally so. Yeah. Yeah. And the percentage of abortions performed on black unborn babies is disproportionate to the overall population. There's a lot that could be said about that. Planned Parenthood is also now moved into providing and producing pornographic material uh, for um, schools and for young people. Can you talk a little bit about that, uh, that aspect as well as they're branching out into uh, the mutilation? And I use that word uh, deliberately of uh, people who have sexual confusion. Well, first, after, you know, certainly they've been in the abortion and contraceptive uh, industry for some time. That's their bread and butter is abortion. That's where they make their money. But then they began to realize, you know, they need to take all the lid off of human sexuality and start training these kids from young to engage in indiscriminate sex without any limitation. And the more they do, don't worry, uh, they've got a result uh, that they can help, and that is abortion. 
And so it really feeds their abortion industry, which is their number one industry. Now what they are doing is they are not only doing the free sex, widespread sex, no restrictions at very, very young ages, by the way, but they're now doing the puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and mutilating surgery. So they're indoctrinating kids that you can change your gender, you can choose who you are, you can have the opposite sex that you're born with, both sexes, no sex, some other kind of odd combination, whatever it is that you want to create yourself in the image of, you're able to do it. And by the way, here's some puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and, you know, mutilating surgeries for you as well. So they have really gone down this radicalization that, frankly, at the end of the day, is absolutely self-destructive. It is a very damaging ideology because it's a death culture at its very core. It's... um. It's so disheartening to hear our national leaders touting abortion as though this was some sort of virtuous act that members of Congress uh, wore buttons that said something like, I love abortion during the State of the Union address. That's where we we seem to stand at this point. Are you optimistic that drawing attention to this history, uh, reminding people of the, the tragic consequence of abortion on demand and Planned Parenthood unleashed that it's having on our, our culture, the culture of death? Are you optimistic that we post row are moving in a direction that um, will convince and persuade the American people that this is not the way to go? I am optimistic. Obviously, there's a lot of work to do. No question about it. In fact, in fact, in Florida, they're trying to get an abortion amendment on the ballot. I'm going to be presenting an argument on February 7th to make sure it doesn't get on the ballot because it's very deceptive. It's very designed to deceive people and fool people into voting for something that they don't realize how widespread abortion would be if they vote for it. So those things are taking place. But on the other hand, I think the more we educate people, like, for example, in the states that post Roe have imposed different kinds of restrictions or even banned abortion, uh, just in uh, you know a six-month period, there's 30-some thousand brand new these states. Now, some of them are fleeing into some other states where they still have uh, abortion uh, on a very liberal uh, perspective. Uh, but I think what we're seeing is there's a move of multiple states where they are moving toward a culture of life. And I think if you go to what just happened, the March for Life in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and you look at the polls, the earlier, the younger generation, you know, millennial Gen Z, they are more pro-life than yes. the older generation, the baby boomers. And so that's a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I so appreciate your uh, helping us to reflect on that history as we uh, consider the the plague that abortion has been in our culture and the possibility that we would become a country that would embrace and celebrate the sanctity of life. Matt Staver, thanks for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure to be with you. Again, Matt Staver is founder and chairman of Liberty Council. Uh, coming up, Alex McFarland of Alex McFarland Ministries. We're going to talk about whether or not you can be a believer and embrace abortion. As the vice president said, you can. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, President Biden and his party declared their devotion to abortion and they renewed their battle cry for universal acceptance of the gruesome practice of terminating babies before birth. 
Well, the president demanded Congress approve a national law enshrining abortion in every corner of the republic. While members of his party wore I love abortion pins instead of the usual expression of patriotism, a lapel pin of an American flag. Well, two weeks earlier, the vice president omitted life in a public recitation of the rights of Americans. Well, these public declarations favoring abortions have led youth, culture and religion expert Alex McFarland to ask, can a Christian love abortion? After all, the vice president announced uh, that one does um, does not have to abandon their faith or deeply held beliefs to support abortion on demand without limits until birth. The great theologian. Vice President Kamala Harris. Well, joining us is Dr. Alex McFarland. He is a youth, religion, and culture expert. He's the author of more than 20 books and is heard live daily on 200-plus stations of the American Family Radio Network. He serves as director of Worldview for Karis Bible College in Woodland Park, Colorado, and co-hosts the Truth and Liberty TV broadcast. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, thank you, Georgine. It's always an honor to be on your program. I appreciate it. Thank you. We just uh, witnessed the uh, uh, March for Life, the annual March for Life. We've just passed the anniversary of the infamous Roe versus Wade decision that was overturned by the Supreme Court two years ago. Uh, The issue of life and abortion is uh, top of mind. We're in an election year as well. Uh, we've, we've been celebrating, those of us who are pro-life, the dignity of every human life uh, and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And yet the culture is in a battle over uh, really the soul of America. And I think that's a phrase that's overused. But in this case, I think it might apply. Um, abortion still remains uh, a leading cause of death around the world, which may be surprising to many. Where do we stand uh, on this issue when you have the leaders of the country, the president, the vice president, uh, touting and uh, seeking to expand abortion in the country and even challenging believers to consider, hey, you don't have to alter your commitment uh, to faith and still embrace the taking of the, the innocent life of the unborn. Well, if if you're uh, a practicing Jew or a Christian, you cannot be for abortion because both Old and New Testament scriptures uh, talk about the sanctity of human life and uh, the the Jewish people believe what we call the Old Testament, and Christians believe Old and New Testaments. And the Sixth Commandment contained in God's Word says, Thou shalt not commit murder. Uh, so no Christian, and I, I said this as a pastor, a theologian, a writer, uh, I've given my life to the pursuit of accurately knowing and handling God's Word. And I will say this unequivocally. No Christian can be for abortion. And if you are a born-again Christian and you somehow think that abortion is legitimate or justifiable, then you're either uninformed or in disobedience. Uh, so, But even as a citizen, let's say, Georgine, somebody is an American citizen, uh, and regardless of faith issues— Uh, The philosophical foundation for our government is called natural law. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jefferson in the Declaration called it self-evident truth. So abortion, uh, Biden is uh, breaking the law in advocating for no legal protection for the unborn because our Declaration, Constitution, and Bill of Rights recognize that all human beings have the innate, inherent right to life. So abortion is... Besides being anti-biblical, it's unconstitutional. 
What do you make of the vice president uh, omitting life in her public recitation of the rights of Americans? This was clearly by design. She is traveling the country to tout and promote uh, broadening abortion rights following the Dobbs decision. Uh, How significant is that as we consider how the, the executive branch views the value of human life in general and of the unborn in particular? Well, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris is not worthy to hold that or any office in our land. And God knows, uh, Almighty God knows, I'm not saying this out of chauvinism or racism. It's not because I'm a male. It's not because of anything. But let me say, Marxist globalists are very strategic in the way they use and misuse and, if need be, omit language. Mm-hmm. And to say liberty and the pursuit of happiness, I, I just I thought, okay, you're 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 clever, but uh, here's the thing: the 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 inalienable right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness mean nothing if they're not first predicated on the right to life. Uh, Georgine, imagine I said to you, um, you you have the right to start the car, you have the right to drive down the highway. You have the right to, uh, you know, drive anywhere you want to drive. And you say, wait a minute, I haven't even gotten my license yet. You know, see, the right to drive is predicated on first having gotten the license. Uh, The right to uh, be a doctor is predicated on first having gone to med school. Well, liberty and the pursuit of happiness mean nothing if you're not alive. And so... Legally, and I, I, even last night I was prepping for a college class I'm teaching, and I was doing um, my probably 5,000th study of the philosophical um, basis of the American Revolution and the Declaration and Constitution. And over and over, you read about uh, British common law, Scottish common sense realism, uh, John Locke, Thomas Jefferson— and they believed what Romans two fourteen and fifteen says. Romans two fourteen and fifteen says that even the Gentiles who didn't have the written law of God did the things prescribed in the Ten Commandments because it's God's law written on every heart. And we know every every human being the world over, whether or not you have overtly the scriptures. We know lying is wrong, murder is wrong, uh, adultery, bearing false witness, slander is wrong. Now, we don't always do what's right, but deep in our heart, we know what's right. And the genius of America, the beautiful thing that did lead to human rights and the abolition of slavery, things that we needed to do, America was predicated on not the laws of man, but the laws of God written on every heart. We honestly do know it. And the law of God says that unless it's self-defense or national defense, we do not have the right to take another human being's life. There, There is killing like a soldier might do in battle, but then there's murder. And abortion is not national defense or self-defense. Abortion is murder. And the Word of God and the human conscience forbids that. You know, we might be offended by the statement that the vice president made and the commitment that the president has made 
to abortion for political reasons or otherwise. The, the president, for example, used to oppose abortion. But it really is a much more serious issue than one might imagine on its face. The omission of the word life in describing the inalienable rights that all Americans possess, the uh, the, the uh, press toward um, abortion rights right up until the point of birth really has uh, much more profound and serious implications than most of us might imagine in, in terms of the direction the country is taking and what we are encouraged to disregard in our embrace of abortion. Your thoughts mm-hmm. moving forward in this election year when we will have the opportunity to determine the course that the nation will take in a number of areas, but including this one, which it seems to me is central to the, the, the core values of our republic. Well, you know, people ask the question, you know, why are why are our cities in turmoil? Why are there smash and grab, uh, you know, looting and violence and uh, all these things? Here's the thing. We are failing socially um, that we've lost our national stability because we've lost our moral compass. Mm -hmm. The reason is this. Um, Should you lie or should you steal or should you abuse drugs or should you engage in sexual aggression? Well, look, if if you're okay with murdering, especially the unborn, the highest order moral truth life. If you fail at the highest moral truth, you will fail in handling lower order moral truth. I mean, look, if, if, if you're okay with killing an innocent baby, you're probably not going to think too much about shoplifting. Okay. And that's why, let me say this. I applaud the priest in South Carolina a couple of years ago, Biden, a Catholic, a priest withheld communion from Joe Biden uh, because he a practicing Catholic is also pro-life. And, and I would say, Mr. President, Joe Biden, I say this as one who respects the office of president, but I also fear God. Uh, sir, you are unsaved. And if you were to die, you would go to hell. Now, Mr. President, turn to Christ, obey what you know the Spirit of God is telling you. Kamala Harris, you need to get right with God because you will give an answer for the way that you are spinning truth and misleading people and American uh, people, uh, we must recover our moral conscience or this nation will unravel. And that recovery of of moral conviction must begin with our resolve to stop killing the unborn. Amen. Uh, We're just about out of time, but how can our listeners follow you? Alex McFarland Ministries. Well, thank you. Just uh, my website, alexmcfarland.com. We've got speaking tours. We broadcast. We do summer camps. Our youth camps, equipretreat.org. We've done camps for 25 years, and we, we're trying to woke-proof America's kids. <laughs> and the website there is equipretreat.org. Well, I so appreciate your commitment to the uh, young generation. They they desperately need help in growing up through this uh, this maze that we've created for them. And thank you for taking time to join us today. You you are a great blessing, Georgine. Thank you so much. Thank Bye. you. Again, Alex McFarland of Alex McFarland Ministries. If you're listening from Seattle, we are out until tomorrow. In Portland, stay with us. We'll be back in a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Portland-only section of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, a recent study by a pro-life research group has revealed that nearly 10% of colleges and universities affiliated with Christian churches that publicly claim an historical Christian faith in their founding have maintained a relationship with the abortion industry or they've publicly expressed support for abortion. Well, the study conducted by Students for Life of America uh, the Institute for Pro-Life Advancement stated the overturning of Roe versus Wade in June of 22. It forced Christian colleges into a decision year regarding taking an official stance on the subject. Well, the results were um, disappointing. The results show that 76 out of 767 Christian colleges investigated across the spectrum of Christian faith were willing to compromise biblical values by supporting abortion. A 10% increase from 69 schools found in a similar study back in 21. Well, according to the study, this research is part of the SFLA's Christian Schools Project to raise public awareness of relationships with the abortion lobby within Christian academia and to encourage these schools to cut ties with the industry of death and restore Christian values. Well, the researchers determined the 76 schools committed a combined total of 185 infractions, in quotes, Well, the study defined infractions as specific actions taken by school administrations that support abortion, including publicizing abortion providers as a health source, uh, hosting abortion vendor events on campus, advertising abortion provider careers, internships, volunteer opportunities, uh, and publishing support for abortion in general on the school's website. Well, the most common infraction was listed, uh, listing rather Planned Parenthood as a health resource which accounted for 45% of all infractions, again, as they refer to them. Well, listing Planned Parenthood as a school-accredited internship or as a volunteer opportunity combined for 31%, while um, hosting abortion events accorded, uh, accounted for 16%. The final 8% were general abortion support statements, such as condemning the U.S. Supreme Court's Dobbs decision to overturn a perceived national right to abortion. Well, the study employed a grading scale and assigned grades from an A plus to an F, depending on their number of infractions and commitment to being pro-life. Christian schools with no infractions and a relationship with a local pro-life pregnancy center earned an A plus, while schools with no infractions but no proof of a relationship with a local uh, PRC uh, earned an A grade. Schools with four or more infractions earned an F. Notably, a combined 90% of Christian schools received top marks with 44 schools receiving an A plus for no infractions and promoting local life affirming pregnancy centers, while 653 earned an average um, an A grade by not promoting abortion or having a relationship with the abortion industry. However, 16 schools received an F while the remaining 54 received a B, C or D. Well, the schools that received an F were American University. Uh, Augsburg University, Carroll University, Davidson College, Drew University, Duke, Emory, um, Malcaster, Molenberg um, College, Oklahoma City University, Road College, Roanoke College, Southern Methodist University, Grad School, St. Olaf College, Virginia Wesleyan University, and Wittenberg University. With a 10% increase in schools committing infractions, the researcher stated it was the 2022 Dobbs decision reversing role that pulled Christian higher education schools that kept silent uh, in the middle of the abortion uh, issue out of their silence to take a stance.
The study stated that thus 2022 also became a decision year for Christian schools to apply or not to apply God's truth on the value of life. In 2021, the conclusion of our Christian school research found 69 schools in total having infractions by the end of that year. However, following the Dobbs decision in 2022, schools with infractions skyrocketed up to 76 percent. In light of our conversation with Alex McFarlane, it puts things a bit into perspective. Well, last week, a U.S. congressional panel held an independent hearing with several medical specialists to examine the record number of injuries, disabilities and deaths reported after COVID-19 injections over the last four years, including increasing rates of myocarditis, blood clots and cancer. The doctor cited numerous peer-reviewed academic studies that the COVID-19 shot spike proteins are doing widespread damage to the human body and the harms will likely continue indefinitely. That's a quote. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene chaired the panel, which was the second such hearing on the issue held since November of last year. Rounding out the panel was Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, Ohio Representative Warren Davidson and Arizona Representative Andy Biggs. Representative Green stated the hearings were hosted independently of the House Select Committee on the coronavirus pandemic because the subcommittee's leadership refuses to do anything about what Americans actually care about, end quote. Well, in addition, she said that data shows these injections have harmed thousands of Americans, which requires answering the question of what is COVID going to continue doing to people? Well, three experts witnessed... Um, Witnesses, rather, testified before the panel, all of whom have experience in treating people with COVID-19 infections, managing vaccine vaccine injuries, and they published research on the topic. The witnesses were Dr. Peter McCullough, an internist, epidemiologist, and one of the most published cardiologists in America, with more than a thousand peer-reviewed publications to his credit. Dr. Ryan Cole, a board-certified anatomic and clinical pathologist who stated he was forced to sell his pathology lab for telling the truth about COVID vaccines. And Dr. Kirk Milhone, a board-certified pediatric cardiologist who also holds a doctorate degree in cardiovascular psychology and pharmacology. Dr. McCullough began his testimony by stating that this hearing was four years too late because it marked the first time since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic that the U.S. House of Representatives had formally received testimony from doctors who are directly treating patients with both COVID-19 infections and vaccine injuries. In referencing COVID-19 shot strategies, Dr. McCullough stated about 75% of Americans received at least one dose and about 94% of those received an mRNA shot. He described the proteins in that particular shot as brand new technology, different from the crippled or killed virus proteins in traditional vaccines. Well, Dr. McCullough stated these mRNA vaccines install the genetic code for the lethal part of COVID virus, which is the spike protein, the spike on the surface of the virus. Well, this was an extraordinary gamble because there was no knowledge of what was going to uh, turn this off. Well, Dr. McCullough and Dr. Cole explained the danger of these shots is that they can produce too much of the potentially lethal spike proteins, which could go anywhere and everywhere in the body. They stated the mRNA spike proteins can hijack the body's machinery to produce an uncontrolled amount of spike proteins for an uncontrolled duration and potentially 
indefinitely. Both doctors emphasize that the human body recognizes the COVID mRNA spike protein as non-human. So the immune system attacks the spike protein where they are in the body's own cells. They stated that this causes cascading effects of inflammation and protein buildup, which has resulted in the drastic rises in organ organ damage, clots, cancers and deaths. Dr. McCullough noted that mRNA vaccines have a regulatory window of concern of five years, where if adverse events appear that uh, in that time frame, then the vaccine itself needs to be considered as the cause. The vaccines have been uh, broadly applied, and there is a small, significant number of people in these studies who really get into health trouble and multiply that times a big number of people who took the shot. And that is the reason we have a health crisis well, other key findings the doctor shared with the panel include Dr. Mill Hone. He stated a Cleveland a clinic study published in April of last year indicated that people with the lowest risk of getting COVID were people who have had zero vaccines. Mr. McCullough stated 3,400 peer-reviewed papers reveal that COVID shots cause myocarditis and heart damage, which is responsible for 13% increase in cardiovascular death in 2020, a 30% increase in 21, and then a 44% increase from 2022 or in 22. Dr. Cole stated the COVID mRNA spike protein binds to certain cancer-causing genes and medical databases at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and in Singapore and the United Kingdom all show an increase in many cancers across age groups among highly vaccinated and boosted individuals. Dr. Milhone and Dr. Cole stated that despite all the data, the government is still recommending boosters. They stated the public health strategy right now for fighting this treatable virus is to inject a horrible protein that asks our body to make a cardiac toxin. Both uh, Senator Johnson and Representative Biggs uh, asked the panel of witnesses about the status of the medical establishment and what has led to this situation. Dr. Cole stated there are um, intertwining corrupted financial interests between the regulatory agencies and the pharmaceutical companies. He noted that the CDC Foundation can make billions of dollars from vaccine patents, while National Institutes of Health officials can make $150,000 a year for life if they are on a patent for a drug that goes on the market, and that the Food and Drug Administration is captured, in quotes, by the biopharmaceutical complex in terms of the percentage of their budget uh, they get from drug approval and fast tracking processes. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, there's been much cause for concern in recent years about the cultural destruction of the nuclear family. Well, the destruction is happening despite the fact that study after study have proven that children raised by their biological parents from birth have inherent advantages. However, there is good news on that front. According to the Institute for Family Studies, the percentage of two-parent households seems to be slowly on the rise. The number of IFS uh, gathered from the uh, U.S. Census revealed that in 2023, the two-parent household figure rose to 71.1 percent. This is a marked improvement ever since 2020, when the percentage of children with two-parent families was at 70.4 percent. One caveat, these numbers incorporate not just biological parents, but also step-parents, cohabitating parents, etc. However, as of 2022, a majority at 53.6 percent of kids age 15 to 17 have been raised by their biological parents. What are some of the inherent advantages of nuclear families? Well, let's start with the benefit of having married parents. 
This demographic is generally happier and more financially well off. For the children, these benefits double. Kids being raised by their married biological parents are less likely to suffer abuse, are generally higher achievers academically, have a better chance at social mobility and benefit from the financial stability of their parents. The American people are slowly turning back toward that two-parent structure in spite of all the propaganda to the contrary. Moreover, as the uh, Washington Stand uh, pointed out, the numbers appear to uh, contradict widely accepted narratives offered by writers at legacy media outlets like The Atlantic, The New York Times, and a number of others about the supposedly inevitable decline in two-parent family structures. These uh, media outfits are generally enthralled by the uh, DEI claptrap of equity and would rather promote alternative family structures that level the playing field. In other words, they'd rather everyone uh, fail equally than success meritoriously. Well, IFS's stats show that U.S. citizens of Asian descent, 81 percent, have the highest percentage of children living with married parents and black Americans at 33 percent have the lowest. So instead of trying to encourage the black community to partake of the benefits of the two parent household, the left media insists that all forms of family are equally beneficial. Thankfully, mainstream media has lost so much of its credibility that fewer people are swallowing uh, that line. Most Americans have a positive view of marriage, even if they don't engage in it, though they don't really understand the value of it. According to the Daily Signal, 54 percent of people I didn't agree that society is better off when more people are married, with 19 percent disagreeing and 35 percent being unsure. As to the questions about family stability, 48 percent didn't agree that marriage is needed to create stronger families. And 46 percent didn't agree that marriage makes families and children better off financially. Well, this paradox is uh, understood by a recent Gallup uh, poll Uh, showing that most Americans believe that having families with two or more children is better, but the actual number of children they're having contradicts that. Furthermore, Gen Z is simultaneously promoting the idea of dinks or uh, even singleness because kids are a drag, according to them. Well, parents, kids, and nuclear family all are being attacked from both sides. So why is there an upward trend in two-parent families if people don't even understand the value of marriage or family? Well, perhaps it's one of those phenomena where people will say one thing and do another. Or perhaps the media, in all its forms, is out of touch with the everyday American. Whatever the case may be, uh, we can celebrate this upward trend and continue to encourage one another to have stable two-parent households, which provide the best chance at positive life outcomes for all. Well, in other more distressing news, uh, dozens of Christians in Mangu, this is in Nigeria, um, the local government area of Plateau State in Nigeria, have been killed in Fulani militia attacks since January 23rd. That's just a few days ago, a couple of days ago, according to Christian Solidarity International or CICSI uh, source from the area. Well, the massacres came as U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken made an official visit to Nigeria on the 23rd of January and the 24th. And just three weeks after, Blinken refused for the third year in a row to designate Nigeria as a country of particular concern for religious persecution. Well, on Tuesday afternoon, CSI's sources in Plateau State reported that Fulani militia fighters were moving on motorcycles to, rather motorbike, to attack Christian villages in Mangu. By Wednesday, the attacks had killed at least 25 Christians, including a family of six who were burned alive in their home in Saban Kasua village. A church in the same village was also burned down. 
The attacks are part of a long-running campaign by jihadist militias there from the Fulani ethnic group to drive indigenous Christian people group out of their homeland in Nigeria's Middle Belt. In recent years, attacks by these militia have killed more Nigerians than attacks by Boko Haram and or uh, the Islamic State. In an impassioned video statement shared on social media, the local chairman of the Christian Association of Nigeria in Mangu, local government uh, area, stated that the Nigerian military was complicit in the attacks. The military are the ones sending our people away to allow the militia to burn their homes, he charged. They have set curfew, but it is um, enforced only on people with Mangu within the Christian domains. Within the Muslim domains, they are free to move and do whatever they want to do, end quote. Military forces had themselves killed three young men in the area, including one of his uh, parishioners, the pastor said. There is an evil plan to destroy Mangu. On Christmas Eve, hundreds of uh, Christians in Plateau State were massacred by Fulani militia going from village to village in uh, Bokos, Barkin, Ladi, and Mangu, local government areas. At a joint press conference with Nigerian's foreign minister, Blinken extended the condolences of the American people to all Nigerians who were affected by the horrific attacks over the Christmas weekend. According to uh, reporting by Morningstar News, Nigeria correspondents, more than 136 Christians have been killed in Nigeria since the 1st of January. 136. Nigeria is the deadliest country in the world for Christians. In 2020, CSI issued a genocide warning for Christians in Nigeria. The U.S. appears to believe that it can protect its interests in Nigeria by participating with the Nigerian security establishment. The CSI international president, Dr. John Eibner, uh, wrote, This same security establishment is complicit in the ethnic cleansing of Christians from their homeland in Nigeria's middle belt by jihadists and Muslim supremacist militias. We urge the U.S. and its allies to address these killings in their dealings with the Nigerian government rather than continuing to turn a blind eye to the slow genocide unfolding in Africa's most populous nation. We certainly can appeal to uh, leaders here in the United States, but we also can bend the knee. And as members of the body of Christ, family members of those who are being harassed and persecuted, murdered, we can make an appeal to the one in whom they have placed their trust. Well, the new documentary is exposing the horrors that transgender movement wreaks upon men, as well as the social and medical industrial conditions that have led to those horrors. The Center for Bioethics and Culture Network released The Lost Boys, Searching for Manhood this week, featuring interviews with numerous men in both the U.S. and the U.K. who've undergone gender transition procedures and with leading psychologists in the field of gender dysphoria. The documentary examines the key common factors that lead young men to question their biological sex and seek gender transition, namely pornography, grooming, and the latent culture uh, detritus of feminism. It also explores how the medical industry uh, promotes transgenderism, how young men wounded by transgenderism seek recovery and healing. Some of the uh, young men begin to question their biological sex during puberty, according to the documentary, One of the chief reasons behind this is the socially prevalent claim that men are inherently dangerous or toxic. Uh, There's more to be said, but the documentary uh, The Lost Boys has just been released, and it's certainly worth seeing. The Center for Bioethics and Culture Network. Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank uh, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. 
please. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.